So our Advent theme this year is joy. And we've been asking the question, what is joy? And we've been working with this, this definition, that joy is a deep sense of God's goodness and blessing regardless of circumstances. We began by listening to the words that were written by Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi who passed away in early November in his last book, in an article he wrote about the book he'd just written, which looks at morality. He's talking about Purim, where we started, the festival that's built around the rescue of the Jews from Haman in the time of the exile. And he says, what I think Purim is, is not expressive joy, but therapeutic joy, the joy that defeats fear. He goes on to say, what you can laugh at cannot hold you captive. So we had a look week one that for such a time as this, the king comes to rescue us. And last week, we were looking at the joy of the Lord being our strength and um, that the, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and how that, that sets the scene, if you like, for what's about to come. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd advise you to go back and have a listen. And you might want a wee notepad beside you. There's lots in last week. So I was reading Jonathan Sachs' book this week, and uh, he, he wrote something that I think is going to be pertinent for us this week. Um, those of you it's, it's, it's so obvious that we kind of take this for granted, that women outlive men by and large. They do so five, six, seven, in some cultures as much as eight years. But Jonathan Sachs writes about some research that was done by a psychologist called Susan Pinker uh, in a book called The Village Effect. And uh, I'm going to read that for you just now. when I can find my place in the book. He's talking about the cost of individualism, when we just think about me instead of we. And he says this, so individualism comes at a high cost. The breakdown of marriage, the fragility of families, the strength of communities, the sense of identity that comes with both of those things. An equally important sense that we are part of something that preceded us and will continue when we're no longer here. Edmund Burke said that a culture that broke the connection between past and future would have the result that the whole chain of continuity of commonwealth would be broken. No one generation could link with the other. Men would become little better than the flies of the summer. The move from we to I has devastating consequences. By contrast, Strong family ties are life-giving in the most literal sense. Susan Pinker tells the story of a cluster of villages in Sardinia where uniquely men live to be as old as women. Usually there's a difference of between five and seven years of life expectancy between the sexes and where there are ten times as many centenarians as average elsewhere in these Sardinian villages. The villages, including the one she visited, 
Now, I'm going to try not murder the pronunciation here, but if you know better, do let me know. Villa Grande Strizeli in the Gentoo Mountains. They're places where no one lives alone, where the elderly live with their children, where people are constantly popping in to see one another, where social contact is high, and people keep working in the fields as long as they can, not retiring until they reach their 80s or 90s. It turns out that one of the greatest aids to longevity is to live in a place where people honor old age. The people of these Sardinian villages, Susan Pinker writes, considered their centenarians communal property and were fiercely protective of their treasures. The word one woman used to describe her 102-year-old uncle. The elderly were respected, honored, constantly visited by members of their family, especially the young, and they were never left alone. Pinker calls this the village effect. It's a striking example of the power of social connectedness. A close connection to friends and family is part of mental and physical health and a sense of a life that matters. He then goes on to write how religious communities have provided this over the years in many ways, and that their decline in the West, in Britain in particular, has been a sad thing. So today, we're going to look at this, joy in the sense that God works through family. Now, can I just check, who here is a member of a family? (laughs) Stupidest question, isn't it? It is the stupidest question. And yet, oftentimes these days, perhaps more than at any other stage in history, the decisions that we make are less influenced by the welfare of our families than they have been in the past. Part of that is to do with the ability to move and live around the world. Some of you are living in a very different place from where you grew up. It also is aided by the fact that, relatively speaking, Our households are much wealthier than they used to be, so having to rely on one another for income, whilst many of us do, many of us don't have to, especially in the West. But we're going to look at joy as it works through the family. Last week in Ezra, as we're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, we we, we read this Scripture together. You can read it with me now if you wish. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. You see, the thing is, is that um, the Jewish people who built that first temple, they were a family, all of them. People were incorporated in. We've got the story of Ruth, uh, the Moabitess, who was incorporated in. But God works through families. We read earlier on in um, our Advent together during worship, this from Deuteronomy, be joyful at your festival, and then is explicit, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. In other words, when you celebrate everybody together, as one great big family, both those you're related to and those who are getting drawn in. And just as we're we're going to talk about this later, but do you notice in that Scripture that family celebration, does it say you do it when you feel like it? 
No. It says, you, be joyful at your festival. Be joyful at your festival. Now, some of us can be a bit Eeyore-ish. Okay, we know who we are. And I'm just saying that being joyful at the appointed time is as much a discipline as prayer, as fasting, as giving, any of those other things. It's, it's as much a discipline. Today we will celebrate. And that's as true. And it can be difficult. It can be difficult if you're the one who's been working, working your fingers to the bone to get things ready. It can be difficult if you've had a tough time. It can be very, very difficult when you get tough news in and around Christmas. And of course, for many of us, we have all kinds of memories of difficult Christmases um, and Advents and, and times of this year. But to decide to celebrate is a choice. It's a discipline. But we'll speak more of that at another time. I'm just putting that flag in the ground. So, here's a quote from um, Psalm 105. For he remembered his holy promise, so this is God remembering, given to his servant, Abraham. So, uh, is everybody awake? You're all busy thinking joy is a discipline, or you're cross with me or something. Anyway, okay. He bought, brought his people out with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. God works through family. All those um, passages in the Old Testament that speak of God's faithfulness. It's so often in the Psalms. He was the one who took, took us out of slavery in Egypt, who freed us, who gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. God works through family. And He works through a family through His promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Now, of course, you remember the story from Genesis 18. And Abraham and Sarah have not had a son as promised. They've attempted to engineer a son that was Abraham's son, but not Sarah's son, through Hagar, and Ishmael is born. And that, that is a difficult situation that needs a lot of teasing out. And it's, it's a kind of human-generated fulfillment of the promise. But God meant what He said, and His promise was sure. And Sarah was going to have a son. And when this is announced... If you, if you want to read it, the accounts in Genesis 18, some individuals who appear to be messengers from the Lord, some people take it as a manifestation of Jesus before Jesus was born, they meet at the palm trees at Mamre, and they talk, and they say, look, you're going to have a son. And Sarah listens into this, and what does she do? She laughs. So that's what's in the name, that's the name that is given to this child. The child of the promise will be called Isaac. Um, which is laughter, or in your modern Jewish Yitzhak, that's Isaac as well, okay? Isaac. So, I mean, there's the joy right in that story of the promise, because the promise of God to Abraham and Sarah is for a family. It's for a family, and that promise is that that family, their descendants, for which they will need a son, will outnumber the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. Countless, countless descendants. Also, those who God works through are, are chosen. God picks Abraham and Sarah. He picks Abram and calls him out of um, Ur to go to a land that he will give to his descendants. Picks Sarah to be the mother of those generations. As the psalmist writes again, remember me 
Lord, we got this here. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. Inheritance is family language. When Paul talks about our inheritance in Galatians 3, moving into Galatians 4, the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus, that's family language. Yes? You're all a bit sleepy today, so I'll wake you up with one of my favorite one-liners. Where there's a will, there's relatives. Yes. Okay. So, God works through family, through His chosen ones. Now, we're going to move from our story last week, and you remember that we included the story about Haley Cohen, who is the new minister at Musselboro North Esk, and how she's of the tribe of Levi, descended from Aaron. We're going to talk about another Levite today. His name is Zechariah. Zechariah is um, involved in the story in Luke's gospel, the birth narrative in Luke's gospel. He is a Levite, so um, his family were responsible for serving in the temple. They, they had it in family slots, and they drew lots as to which member of the family would go and perform their duties as a voluntary service up at the temple. And so Zechariah had, had that, that task. And Zechariah is interesting because um, Zechariah is, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is really the last Old Testament story. It's the last Old Testament story. And of course, for those of you who know your scriptures, going, ooh, ooh, Zechariah was a prophet around the time of the building of that temple. Yes. And here in that temple, whose foundations are laid in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, here's Zechariah who is a Levite as well, and he is serving in that same temple, though it looks a lot grander now, as I explained, that Herod the Great had gone to great lengths, and over the centuries, great lengths have been taken to make that building beautiful. But it was that second temple whose foundations are laid in Ezra and Nehemiah. Are we all keeping up? So, I keep saying that, but it's just, this stuff is so rich we think we know this story, but there's never a year goes by that I don't discover something new in terms of the depth of the story around the arrival of Jesus. Okay. So, God is working through His family, His chosen ones, Zechariah, a Levite, serving in the temple, and uh, well, we're going to read some of the Scriptures in just a moment. By the way, we were talking about Simcat being the Hebrew word for uh, joy and Sasson being also the, the, the other Hebrew word for joy, where Sassy comes from. The book, uh, the, the word in Greek is kara. Kara. Um, that's obviously anglicized spelling, but kara is your word for joy in the Greek. So, as I've said, God is working through His chosen ones, His family. Here's Zechariah in the temple that his forefathers had wept over the destruction of the first, wept over the laying of the foundation of the second. And God also works through the family in this way, in the chosen ones, because Elizabeth is also from the tribe of Aaron. She is also a Levite in terms of her heritage. And just like Sarah had wept over her barrenness, so Elizabeth was concerned that she had not had a child. And 
Unfortunately, that meant that it looked like to her family and friends that the Lord's favor was not on her. We were about to find that it was. And I know there'll be those of you watching, those of you here, who've been through the pain and suffering of being unable to conceive, either for a long time or at all. And you can understand those tears. You can understand those tears. Let's read this together. So, Zechariah is serving in the temple, and then the angel Gabriel appears. Now, just, we say that as if it's, can you imagine? Just for a moment, just imagine, there you are doing your thing, just doing your thing. You imagine you're doing something that you've done, maybe praying the Lord's Prayer. You're praying the Lord's Prayer for, what, the 10,000th time in your life, and angel shows up. How startling would that be? Right. That's what it was like for Zechariah. Okay. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Remember, it means remembered of the Lord. This is how the Lord's remembering him. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. <whistles> Full of the Spirit and a teetotaler. <laughs> there we go. Amazing, 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 amazing. Here's, I mean, there, you can hear echoes of all kinds of stories of Eli and Samuel in, in the shrine at Shiloh, and Eli hearing the voice of God. Here Zechariah hears the voice of God, means remembered of the Lord, as I've said. Zach is busy going, oh, that's, Zachary's a form of Zechariah. Yes, it is. And Elizabeth bearing a son, echoes of what's happened to Sarah that there's a foretaste in here. And it's not that it's directly parallel. It's got echoes. It's, it's, um, uh, it's what Tolkien liked to call a, a applicability. It's not, it's not a direct copy, but there's, there's things in the story that just remind you. They, 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 you cast your mind back to what God has done in the past, to His faithfulness. Rich, rich stuff to meditate on. And this story of the birth of John is the one story in the New Testament, that in the narrative in the Gospels, that has that word kara in it more than any other I could find. Let's read on. This is now Elizabeth. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So now we've moved on in the story. Mary is now pregnant, and she goes to stay with Elizabeth, who she's related to. And as soon as they come into contact with each other, here's the evidence that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, because that discerning is that from, from, one, from one pregnant lady to another, from, oh, this is it. And what does he do? He leaps. He leaps. Leaping for joy is a common phrase in the Psalms. He leaps. 
And we read on, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. Can we pull that up on the slide? Thank you. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. They shared her joy. What a story. What a story. God works through family. That's one of the ways that He brings His joy to us. And that's a thing of His choosing. And we don't get to choose our relatives by and large. Spouses, we do, but other relatives, we don't. And that choice is intended to bring us joy. And family Think back to the story of Nehemiah that we were looking at too. When there were those gaps in the walls, what unit did Nehemiah pick to repair the wall? Families. Families. Now, some of you are thinking, but I live on my own. That's a very, very modern conception of how family is. That's not real. Family is is you and your aunties and uncles and your cousins and your mums and dads and I mean, I've just become a grandfather, and I got a text this morning from my cousin Faith, and I only see her very, very rarely, but she's family. She's family. And um, everybody's had an upgrade. Grannies, uh, grannies and nanas have become great-grannies and nanas, and great-auntie Vivian is now great-great-auntie Vivian, and, um, you know, Gabriel is an uncle at seven be having a chat with him about that. He's going to have major responsibilities there. He was kind of hoping he'd still be at primary school when Lachlan starts primary school. It's just, but families is, is the extended, it's the extended family. And that also includes, by the way, most of the auntie and uncles in my life I shared no blood relation with because my mom and dad moved up from the south in the mid-60s, and so I had to build family up here. So, John Bridges from Newton Grange was Uncle John and Auntie, you know, whoever it may be. Auntie this, Uncle that, and you're sort of left head scratching because it's that. And by the way, have a chat with our Nigerian friends because working out who's actually blood relation and who isn't, oh, that's my sister and that's my auntie and that's my uncle. And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. And you just have to sit and very patiently ask, Joshua had to explain this to me. And I'm very glad he did. Now, Family is, if you live on your own, you've still got family around about you, gather them. It's the people, it's your heart home, it's those who are part of your wider family. God works through family. God works through family. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm the only Christian in my family. Well, let me remind you of this. God chooses people. If you're the only Christian in your family then God has chosen you to be His loving presence in your family. And I know it can be frustrating and exhausting. It can be difficult. And there's that longing that comes, that just, you, just longing for your husband or your wife, or your son or your daughter, your, grand, your parents 
to know Jesus for themselves. But if God has placed you there, two things. First thing, you're a gap in the wall. Second thing, your family will help rebuild that wall. And never underestimate how God can work in and through and around you. Never underestimate. And your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. I'm seeing some loving looks going between people who are praying for people. And, the, and now folks are walking with the Lord who didn't used to. Never underestimate the power of being the only Christian in your family. But also, never underestimate how exhausting it is and get other people to stand with you in prayer for your loved ones. Because God calls us to love those around about us. Because He loves us all. And for those of us who, um, where there's maybe a number of Christians in our family, God places us strategically because there's work to be done. There's work to be done. I was chatting with someone recently um, who has faith for the miraculous to happen. And I love that. I love chatting with people who got faith for the miraculous. And, uh, but I was saying, you know, that applies that really, the, the, the miraculous happens in the ordinary. As, as I was saying, Tim Tennant talks about the, ev- the liturgy of the everyday. Ordinary miracles. Magic out of muck. You see here on a Tuesday morning, that's where miracles happen. Ask, ask about Agnes's little book of things that people are needing. And she was saying to me, you know, because often people will say, well, I need something, a bike or a bed or a chest of drawers. And there'll not just be one that comes in. There'll be an abundance. There'll be an abundance. And that's where the miraculous takes place in the everyday, when you're getting the kids ready for school, when you're visiting an elderly relative, when you're… you're uh, how touching was it, that story of that Sardinian village? In these days we live in when face-to-face contact is regulated by the government. Friends, we need to while being responsible, find every way we can to love those who we have been given to love, to love them, to love them, to love them. When you pray, Jesus says, pray like this. Luke 11, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. John, that John who came as, you know, in answer to the promise, that wonderful gift to Elizabeth and Zechariah. But of course, Jesus doesn't, pray, doesn't teach His disciples to pray like John taught His disciples, because John was a good Jew, and Jesus is the Messiah. He says, when you pray, pray like this. First two words, our Father, our Father our Father, our Father. He takes the fatherless and places them in families, the psalmist writes. You see, the plight of the orphan is close to God's heart. When throughout the Old Testament, when there's a shorthand being used for the care of those who are vulnerable, it's the widow and the orphan. And some of us are, we were orphaned from our own families, and some of us are spiritual orphans, and God takes spiritual orphans and orphans who've lost their parents and places them in families. 
That's what he does. And our consideration, well, God, Jesus, you think of all the things that Jesus could have said. Well, when you pray, pray like this, oh, mighty merciful one, you know? doesn't do that. Could have said, creator God, which is the way that many ministers start their, their prayers is with, you know, an adjective and then the word God. Creator God, loving God. I tend not to do that because I don't say that about, I don't, I don't, I say loving mother. Have you got a loan of 500 quid? I don't, I don't do that. I say, mom, I really love you. <laughs> Could have borrowed 500 quid. And that's, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, our Father. Two words. First, you're into the family. Second, you're not alone. It's not my Father. It's our Father. Our Father. So important. So very, very important. T'other John, John Jesus' best friend. There was plenty of Johns in Jesus' life. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. And think about what I've been saying. Or actually, you can read it with me. This is from John 16. Very truly, I tell you, truly, truly, that the construction in the Greek is amen, amen. Double amen at the start. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to? A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. You should see Ali. She's, she's beaming at the moment. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus is talking about his death. And he's talking about his resurrection. But you see how it's couched? It's couched in family language. The joy is couched in family language. And it's not just a metaphor. They used to say, I used to get so angry at New College when they say, well, of course, saying that God is our Father is a metaphor. And I'm thinking, it's not a metaphor. It's a pithy reality. We're the metaphor. We're the pale image of what God has, has in, made real. Are you hearing me? This isn't just a means by which we can understand God. It is who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus goes on. In that day, you will no longer… Can we have the slide for the Scripture? Thank you. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Why? Why would the Father give you whatever you ask in His name? Because you have become a child of God by adoption to the same extent that Jesus is son by nature. Do you hear me? That's your proper place. That's what the cross gives us. That's what gets brought into the world. You know, Emmanuel, God with us, as, as Isaiah promises. He goes on, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Will your joy be complete because you get the nice house or whatever it is you're praying for? No, your joy will be complete because now you understand 
that you are fully integrated into the family of God, which was communicated to us by the family of Abraham, that we are a part of by faith as much as the Jewish people are by blood. Do you hear me? Absolutely. God works through family. From John's account, again, this is, this is the Apostle John rather than John the Baptist, but he's talking about John the Baptist, and then he moves on in John 1. Read this with me. This is such an important Scripture. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Who is that? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. Now, of course, John was a Jew writing this. The early apostles were Jews. Paul was a Jew, but not every Jew received him. Yet, we read on, yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the, the what? The right to become children of God. Children of God. God works through family. Kingdom comes through family. His Messiah came through family, announced by John, who was born unexpectedly into a family, bearing that promise. And that promise is sure. That promise is sure. And that is the seat of our joy that is a blessing that regardless of circumstance and understanding of God's goodness and blessing, regardless of circumstance, that we have in Him. Friends, this week we will give thanks for Ella Higginson. Here's her picture again. Here's her picture again. I was in with her just a few days before she passed, praying with her. Vinnie Clyde, but also sang with her very quietly, respectfully, reading the Scriptures over her, Psalm 23, John 14, which I'll read at her funeral service. And her daughter-in-law, Heather, was there too. And she said, oh, behind her mask with an apron on with this lady that she just so loved. And she said, I just want to kiss her. And I said, Heather, what's stopping you? I'll cover the door. We live in difficult times, friends. We live in difficult times. But we give Ella into Jesus' keeping knowing that she's gone to a place where there's no COVID, no restrictions, no lockdown, no parting, no sickness, no suffering, no pain, no sin, no brokenness, no lousy choices, no accidental death, no wickedness of any shape or form to that place prepared for her. That's where she is now handed into Jesus' keeping. And we will follow her in our time. Please pray for Betty. It's so hard to imagine. And all the family. God bless them. That's one end of life. And of course, here's the other end of life. As the Gathers wrote in that wonderful hymn that we started with, how sweet to hold the newborn baby and feel the pride and joy He gives, but greater still the calm assurance that child can face uncertain days because He lives. Who lives? His brother Jesus, who in 
The love of the Father came into this world so that His rescue is already underwritten so that He in His time, as we baptize Him and as He grows in faith, will become part of that family. Indeed, He is part of that family already in the covenant of Jesus. Friends, God works through family, His chosen ones, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we're united as the children of Abraham by blood and by faith. And the new humanity which Jesus is making is a reunification of that. That's what we're a part of. That's the big plan. That is the great majesty of the story that doesn't really begin at Christmas, but that's the start of its climax. Friends, God works through family, God's chosen one. And our joy is found in that. Because church is family. Because Jesus' new humanity is family. And in that, our joy is complete. May we pray.